because I think at a small scale, I guess any kind of focus or, or, or effort you can put into establishing brand, even if it is, even if it's something as simple as paying for a, you know, for a logo, um, you know, or having somebody actually work on the design of a, of a, of a site, that sort of stuff will, will build and build and build, you know, and they are, they're the building blocks, even at its, even at their cheapest, smallest level, they're the building blocks of, of brand. G'day and welcome back to the Recommended Retail Podcast, the RRP that talks all things retail. Welcome to 2023. I'll be your host, John Barkle from Dropship Zone, Australia's leading B2B2C marketplace. Last month, Dropship Zone stepped out in glowing purple, unveiling our first ever brand update. So for our first episode of 2023, we're joined by the visionary behind the rebrand, Christopher Doyle. As creative director at Christopher Doyle & Co., Christopher has over 20 years of experience with some of Australia's top brand and design agencies. His work has been exhibited and used all around the world. And today, he will be giving us a rundown of the importance of brand identity. Chris, welcome to the RRP. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Very excited to be here. This is very cool. I think this has been a long time coming. We've been working together since July on the new brand for Dropship Zone. And uh, the feedback's been great, by the way. Yeah, that's exciting. um, Good. I think you've done it again. (laughs) Good. Good to hear. I think we want to get to know the man behind the agency, I think, now, moving forward. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. No, look, it was a great process. It was very, it was, it was, and look, these, yeah, these processes can be bumpy. They can be smooth. They can be, you know, they can, they can sort of get drawn out or they can be really quick. And I think it was a, uh, yeah, from our end, it was a great process. It was, it was also the right amount of time. And these things go for too long. They can, you know, you tend to sort of lose momentum sometimes, which is tricky with brand because it does take quite a while from sort of go to woe. But I felt like the momentum was 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 exactly right in this instance. So, and the, yeah, the energy levels were were high, and the output was yeah was a lot of fun for us. So it's good to hear it's it's landed. Yeah, yeah. I think from our perspective, it was just a bit of impatience because we got the materials ready to go. I think around just towards the end of October, I think, beginning of November. Yep. And we couldn't do anything to our website or because we were in the middle of peak trading, there's a code freeze on. So of course. We had to pick a date in January and I, I think I said to the team, I want it I want it done before the end of January. So we should be able to get it up and done. And that was a very smooth process. So kudos to the team there. Yeah, yeah, they did a great job. So we're here to talk about the importance of brand identity. Sure. So I think you're probably the right person to speak speak some things on that. But we'd love to get to know you a little bit more, the man behind the agency and, you know, how long have you been in the industry? How did your agency start and what really gets you excited about building brands for businesses? Well, lots of things. I guess to start to start with the agency, we uh, the agency in its, in its sort of current form, which I guess is, is, is the one sort of run by me, has been going for just over 10 years. I've been working for sort of about 22, 21 years, I think, in design and, and, and predominantly in brand that whole time. And I had I had worked at a few agencies sort of prior to setting up on my own and, and really just, I mean, the, the, the inception of the agency was really just me wanting to, I guess, establish my own version of that, you know, wanting to carve out my own version of, of the agencies I'd been at. And, and I guess taking all the things that I really loved and 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 enjoyed about some of those agencies and and you know and being able to park the things that you that don't you don't resonate with and don't sort of gel with you and sort of then make your own version of it, which was exciting. I mean, really challenging in, in obviously lots of ways to sort of start 
start from scratch and start on your own, but but thrilling um, as well. As you know, in terms of building a business, it's a very exciting process to go through, even though it's it's pretty terrifying. I think, yeah, and, and brand, it's interesting with brand because I think studying design and, and, and coming to it via education, brand is part of that, obviously, but I didn't really get exposed to it in great detail or sort of in great depth, I should say, until, until I started work and you start to sort of understand that really brand is is runs through everything. And I think that was, you know, I think in the second agency, I was at they had a line or, or, or an internal mantra about brand being at the heart of of all business, and I it really resonated with me, and I and I believe it to be true. I really think that once I kind of understood the role and the and the power of that, and the fact that it does really sit at the at the sort of heart of all you know design and marketing, and whether it's advertising or it's or it's brand marketing or it's, it's socials or it's digital or whatever it is, it's it really brand is at the core of that that and and the heart of all that decision making and output. And I think once you kind of understand that, and it's not even a really complicated idea, it's really just having the realization that that's that that's there. You really start to see the power and and potential of brand, and and it's uh, I guess it's um, it, you know its ability to sort of spread. And work across an entire organization and touch so many different parts of what a business or an organization does. And that to us is very exciting. You know, I think that's one of the main reasons we love it is it takes many shapes and forms and impacts almost every part of a business, which, you know, when you think about it like that, it's, it's kind of huge um, and provides a, a fantastic opportunity to create great work. When you deliver that great work, what is the win for you? Is it is it seeing it in real life on a billboard down the down the motorway, or is it is it seeing it broadcast on TV and being put to use? Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's all those things. I think the bigger and and sort of and more challenging the project is, the more you know, the the, the more thrilling and, and sort of satisfying it is to actually see it come to fruition and live in those in those applications. I think the I think the more satisfying or exciting part of that journey though is is you know being able to talk with you know with you or members of the team and actually have them be able to speak about the impact that, that a change of brand has you know and i think that that to us is always as exciting if not more exciting than seeing the work finished is you is you actually have conversations with team members and, and ceos or managers and say this is really has very very tangible very immediate impact on a business or an organization for the better and i think that the opposite of that is where people don't understand why change has been made or it hasn't doesn't get picked up or it doesn't get championed and and that's where that's obviously the kind of other side the more disappointing end of it but the most satisfying part i think is yeah in some ways isn't the actual executions themselves although that's great but rather hearing about and having conversations you know about about the impact that it's having internally and and essentially how it's helping a business change and move forward because that's something i really really believe in that we we are in the business of of helping other businesses and helping other people communicate and yeah we want to satisfy you know our own sort of aesthetic tastes and 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 creativity and all that kind of stuff as well but that's a that's a secondary box to tick you know the first one is the design and brand is there primarily to help another business move forward and, and and get better or bigger or sell more or communicate better so once you start to see that happen and hear people talking about that enthusiastically that's the most satisfying part of it for us it's a really good point that that you you bring up there people not understanding what the process was for or why people go through that i guess that's a question for you as well why should a business embark upon a rebrand what what would be the right time to to do a brand refresh to to update its brand elements Look, I think there's there's lots of reasons and opportunities that are right that are quite different as well. You know, it could it could be that a business goes through a significant change in 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 what it's producing or who you know the number of audiences or the type of audiences it's talking to. You know, if it, if it pivots in a way that 
that where it was graphically in terms of brand and all that all that sort of thing is not is not appropriate or won't connect with people or, or help communicate what the business does. I mean that's 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 a very obvious time and and reason to start to reassess. The other is is really literally in the same way that we sort of look at our wardrobes and we look at how we dress and how we how you know where we're at in our own lives, you know, personalities, and think, okay, this you know this needs to be evolved. It purely can just be that the way a company looks and feels and, and writes or moves in motion um, feels dated, you know. And I think that more than ever now is happening because technology and and the mediums in which brand live are evolving so much faster than they ever did when brand was first talked about. When you talk about the kind of the sixties and seventies and eighties of brand, brands were kind of they were sort of etched in stone, literally sometimes, you know, because the idea that you would change a logo anytime soon was, was kind of unthinkable. You know, I, I remember when PricewaterhouseCoopers rebranded, did a huge rebrand exercise. Uh, I mean, this is probably 10, 15 years ago. I remember coming into Melbourne, I think it was, and seeing the old PwC logo, it literally etched into concrete on the side of a building. And I remember thinking, that's a pretty confident move, you know, for, for a brand to sort of say, this is it, and it's not going to change, you know, that we're going to embed it into this architecture that's never going to be updated. But that's what branding was. It was it was this level of permanence that, you know, that you would never sort of uh, think to update. And I think now, you have to move with the times, not only in terms of aesthetics and how you look and feel, but but also how you communicate, how you talk to audiences, the platforms you live on. So it's it's as much sometimes about wanting or needing to change because the business is changing itself, but also it purely can just be around modernization and updating, you know, both in terms of how you look and feel, but also where where you're going to live as a brand as well. Yeah, I think that's really true. And also I love that when you look at over a course of a time, a business maybe that's been around for more than say 50 to 100 years, you see the, the way that their brand identity has developed over time. They still retain some of those elements from 50, 60, 70 years ago, but in just it, they express it in a much more modern way that a modern consumer understands. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and that's the thing is that you have audiences, they evolve, you know, what people want to see and, and what they respond to aesthetically and, and verbally it can't stay the same, you know, and I think that's a really, it's actually a really good point and a really delicate thing to do is where brands take elements that have existed for a very, very long time and either modernise them or, yeah, or sort of um, update them, I guess, for newer audiences. And similarly, you know, where they where they really just go blank slate and start from scratch as well, which can be really dangerous because people have attachments and both nostalgic and emotional and just this level of familiarity sometimes with brand that it's a really it is a really delicate thing to change. And look, you see that in our industry a lot when people when people sort of launch brands that have been around for a very long time and they get changed. It can be a very – you can end up sort of with these comment boards on blogs of people arguing about about how dare this organisation or this design studio change this thing that's been around for so long, you know. And it's, but that's all, you know, you're always going to have those kind of debates. Interestingly, just in the last 24 hours, I don't know whether you saw um, a Burberry, the, uh, the British uh, fashion brand, has just – updated its brand and basically taken what was its original sort of late 1800s motif and look and feel and modernize it and that's become a new brand which and it looks beautiful but it's a really it's a fascinating approach to circle all the way back to something that's over 100 years old and make that what they're going to lead with in 2023 and it's been received really well you know which is a which is a an interesting interesting approach but yeah it's all it's all cyclical as well you know it's certainly in terms of aesthetics these things come and go and come back around much more than i think people like to admit i think even you could take a local example only recently 
Strandbacks has rebranded to just Strand. They're now known as Strand. And that, that clearly has come about because they think that Strandbags might be in an era that's gone and, and they need to, to modernise for the millennial consumer. Yeah, absolutely. Let's dial it back a bit because obviously some of our retailers are not as in this marketing area as what we are. But I guess for you, what would you say, what is brand identity in a nutshell? Brand identity in a nutshell for us, the way, the way we love to explain it, and it, it is, I think, to your point, is to simplify it because I think that the danger of this stuff is it does get overthought and put through an academic lens sometimes. But essentially for us, is it's a business's personality, you know, and, and I think when, what I mean by that is that you, in the way you, we think about people, is an easy lens for people who aren't very well-versed in this, you know, to gain access to what brand identity is, which is essentially, you know, how a business or, or, or a product, regardless of size or scale or type, looks, feels, sounds, how it moves, how it talks, what its appearance is, you know, all those kind of characteristics of what we think about when we think about a business and obviously the kind of the experience you have with the brand as well. That's that, you know, and that's what I guess what we mean by feels is there's an intangible aspect to that as well, which, you know, can't really be designed. It can be sort of cultivated and, and steered. But, um, you know, in, in terms of what we do and what we deliver, it is around a kind of that that look and sound and move space, you know. So what – and then we, we if you sort of look at those categories or those buckets, you go, okay, well, how does it look? Okay, what's – do we have a logo? You know, what, what are our – colors what what comes to mind when you think of a brand is it red is it blue is it yellow is it got a certain type of logo mark does it have a style of typeface when i when i see ads and and these are all these visual cues that go together to form you know what you see when you close your eyes and think about that brand when we talk about sounds obviously we talk about tone of voice how does the brand talk how does it write what's the you know what are the headlines i read when i am flying down that highway that before i've even seen a logo tell me that I'm, I'm reading a headline from a certain type of brand, then how does a brand move? You know, so when we get into motion and we get into video and we get into animations, what are the kind of behavioral aspects of that that, uh, that define how that brand moves? And I think that when it goes wrong, you can really, really tell. And I think because it's because all of those things, when they're designed to, to work in harmony and they're executed consistently, which is the whole point, you know, when they're executed with a a very careful and intentional level of cohesion that you have brand, you have what people sort of think about. As I said, when they, you know, and it, it sounds silly, but when you close your eyes and think about a brand that you know well and what experience you've had with it, both visually, in person, product wise, everything, you can start to kind of understand if you break it all down that it's made up of all these little pieces that live cohesively to kind of connect to each other. And that's what brand is, which is why. The bigger the business, the harder the process can be and the longer it takes because you really it is it starts to become, you know, those categories even get broken down into further subcategories, you know. So you, you need to modulate you how you talk if you're talking to multiple types of audiences, or depending on the medium you're in, you might have certain types of animation and motion that live, but then when you live in print, you live in a different way. So you can start to see almost this kind of like sort of family tree graphic that starts with those core items but can very quickly become about lots of other things, which is where that cohesion and consistency are paramount because they have to all funnel back up into that one, I guess, idea or, or, or memory that someone has of a brand, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And also just from a business perspective, the bigger the brand, the more loyalty that's generated behind it. So if you're changing the brand and people externally don't like it, at least they noticed. At least they notice because they obviously care about the brand. I used to say that, or I still say that brand is a is a shortcut that we use in the brain to figure out whether we like something or how we feel about how we feel about a business. 
but it's a, it's a valuable asset in a business, isn't it? I mean, you can you can put it on a balance sheet. Yeah, look, I absolutely agree. I think it's I and I think it's undervalued still far far too often by people. And I think and I think you know I'm sure we'll talk about this, but in terms of smaller businesses and businesses that can't necessarily afford what it costs and how long it takes to create brand, it's a I think it often gets kind of sort of parked as secondary. You know, people go, okay, let's just focus on product, let's focus on getting this part of our journey right or this part of logistics right but brand like i said at the start it is the shortcut for all of those things you know and they, and then and and people say the same thing about logos you know people talk about logos being even within that is the shortcut to everything else you know and i and i, and I, I still think that's true you know like in our industry it gets discussed every sort of three or five or six years where people sort of say look logos are dead branding isn't about logos and and it's not it's about the culmination of lots of different things but logos still carry with them and they, and they always have since they're you know, the very beginnings of what that of what brand was this enormous power to give people that mental shortcut and from that shortcut you make assessments about uh, quality of product, quality of service, you know, what kind of experience you've had, how long they've been around, would you recommend it to somebody, what sort of colours, what sort of typefaces, you know, all that sort of stuff. Like the logos are a supremely powerful anchor or, or shortcut to, to trigger all those things. Very, very important. Yeah, I, I find fault in that when they say logos are not important anymore. They're pretty important when you're looking for a McDonald's and you, when you're flying down the motorway and you're looking for the golden arches or... I said, look, that's a classic example. Yeah, yeah. And it was just going to say because you're going down the motorway at 100 kilometres an hour and you've got a billboard that's, I don't know, 19 feet long. The only thing you're going to see in the blink of an eye is a logo or the colour that you're seeking to own or both. Yep, agreed. Yeah. You, you haven't got time to put a long message across. No, you don't. And with you, especially when you have high traffic, I think foot traffic is a, with our door, is, there's obviously these different categories that things fall into, but occasionally we do high motor traffic or, you know, highway-based signage. You know, you are, yeah, you're looking at sort of two to two to five words or something at the most. But, yeah, you what you have around that is really, really strong brand, whether it's colours or it's logo or it's a, an image style. When I think about things like The Economist, have, have, I've run a campaign for such a long time that I love The Economist magazine, which which is essentially, a you know, a red and white, this series of red and white ads with very, very short, single, intelligent headlines on them set in the same typeface that The Economist masthead is in, you know, and they are unmistakably connected to The Economist and it's been run very, very diligently and strictly under a set of brand guidelines for such a long time that you can't think of anything other than that magazine when you see one of these ads. You know, even before you've read the headline, you go, I go, that's, that's you know, I know I know what I'm about to see here, you know. And then interestingly, and, that, and I guess that's what we mean by, yeah, by the shortcuts and triggers is that when you cl- I clock that red and that typeface, before I've even read it, I my brain immediately gets excited to read it because historically my association with those ads is that they're very, very intelligent and they're really, really clever and they're, they're almost, almost certainly about money or finance and I guess a level of sophistication within that world. So, you you know, before you've even read it, I kind of I have an understanding of the standard of, of writing that I'm going to read as well, which is a, that's brand. That's, that's something that's been built up over many, many years that, that gives people, uh, I guess, a clue very, very immediately about what they're going to experience. Yeah, 100%. So what brands then you think are doing it right when it comes to the ongoing work that they do? Who's building their brand up right? 
Yeah, it's the million dollar question, and I, I have the most boring answers because they're the most uh, because they're the most consistent. And I think, uh, I mean, Apple, which is the most predictable answer for this, but also I still feel that you know one of the truest for me just is, and and I guess for a couple of reasons that probably are a little bit different for me than 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 people who aren't necessarily you know in the in our industry or working marketing and design and, and or brand, and that's that Apple managed to obviously from a product level. They consistently produce a standard of products and an aesthetic that you know that people adore and, and have kind of completely unfailing loyalty to. Um, I think graphically that brand has been on a really interesting sort of journey since it formed. In that it's it's it goes through this constant state of reduction. In the, in that the I don't even think the word Apple is used anymore as a logo. It's it's purely down to its symbol execution. I think and you know Nike's another brand that could have confidently does that as well, where you could have an entire piece of communication without a word mark. Now the word might be mentioned in copy or something like that, but from a branding perspective. There's a couple of those brands in the world now that manage to say, we're just going to give you this logo and you're going to know everything that that means. And I think I think Apple do an amazing job with that. The thing that I love about Apple, and, 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 and it gets a little bit nerdy, but whenever they do big product releases or they have these, you know, they have the world, the worldwide sort of product release days and they launch these big immersive websites. I think the copywriting on that brand, and I'm sure it comes from quite a few different people, but the... The tone and the copywriting, the standard of writing that, that comes with Apple communication, I think is, I just think is world class. I think it's always really, really clever. I think it's intelligent. It's still accessible, which I love, you know, like it's not, you don't, it, it doesn't sort of shut anybody out or, or exclude anyone. But I think there's a level of verbal communication that I don't, I mean, I don't think gets appreciated enough with that brand because obviously of how beautiful the product and the visual experience is with them. But I actually think they're, I actually think the tone of voice, the writing on Apple stuff is just, is, is next level. It's consistently really, really good. Um, so yeah, I mean, those guys, Nike as well, do an amazing job of it, I think. A brand as well, I think in a different, in a different way manages to completely reinvent itself almost monthly, it seems like, you know, across a variety of subcategories and different sports. And, but again, the strength of it always seems to come through. It doesn't even, even as, diverse and strange as some sort of executions get you you always feel like it's come from one place which i, I don't know how they do it it's pretty amazing but uh but very impressive do you think that's got anything to do with the product category that they play in? it's easier to build a brand a brand around a product category that really resonates and, and feeds into a consumer's lifestyle i mean you don't really see that same sort of love and, and attention that comes from say a bank for example these products like nike and apple produce ingrained in our lifestyle yeah look they're very absolutely they are i mean they are lifestyle brands you know one's tech and one's one's activewear and sport you know broadly speaking but they are there is an amazing kind of opportunity you have there in that what they make and produce is exciting you know yeah you're right you don't you don't get that level of bravery or 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 sort of experimentation with banks or finance or because you know, if you do you get this arguably kind of archaic response which is okay this isn't trustworthy you know this isn't sophisticated enough for me you get a little bit in fashion obviously but um but those brands I, look i think it is a lifestyle thing but i also think they have worked so hard and been around for so long that they are afforded or, or they afford themselves a level of experimentation that's obviously i'm, I'm sure curated to within an inch of its life but yeah allow themselves you know they, they can flex because 
they've been around so long and they have such a loyal fan base, you know, that you can really push the boat out on that stuff. And, and it's probably not going to land with everybody, but you're going to land with a lot of people. Yeah. I think that's right. The hard work and, that those marketers have done and put into that over so many years is, is definitely resonating. Let's, let's talk Dropship Zone. Let's talk about the project that we work together on. I'd just like to maybe describe to our listeners the, the process that we went on, the journey that we sort of went on to get where we got. What, what do you think are some of the important things that we had to keep in mind in that project that we really needed to make sure were, were correct? Yeah, I think, uh, look, I think some of them are true to all all processes and I think some of them, you know, and this, and this happens all the time. There are things that sort of, you know, you, you have to be mindful of any time you go through this process and then I think there's obviously many that are specific to, you know, the process we went through, for example. I guess it's sort of broadly speaking, you know, the, the first thing we always think to talk to is, you know, is who is this for? Who are these audiences? Are there are there multiple audiences? Um then also who who needs to use this brand you know who's going to execute this who's going to and what are they going to make with it so you have these two very big questions right away that give you you know give you an enormous amount of insight into into how you go about that process you know it's, it's where is it who is this for who's going to who's actually going to be consuming it what do they need to you know what do we want them to think and feel and then where is this actually, you know, and where's it going to live? And then who's actually going to use it and and have to kind of take what gets made and then make stuff with it? Who do you want to actually kind of fall in love with this, you know? Like who, who are we talking to at an audience level? Do they dissect? Do they cross over? Are they completely separate? Then when we talk about where does it live, you know, we talk about is this is it a predominantly digital brand? Is it predominantly a print brand? Is it an invisible brand? You know, is it a logistics brand that lives just on the side of a cardboard box and no one ever really sort of bats an eyelid at it, you know, which is which is not to say it wouldn't be important then. But those are the things that start to inform, you know, how you make the decisions around around, yeah, how you execute the brand. I think with Dropship Zone, we went through obviously workshop processes with you guys where we for us it's about coming in and really and really sort of assuming this this persona of we know nothing, you know, like talk to us. I heard a great quote uh, from a, from Michael Beirut, a, a Pentagram partner in New York, where he talked about going into work with MasterCard, I think it was, and he, you know, him saying to the client, you know, talk, tell me, tell me like I'm an idiot, you know, tell me, talk to me about this like I like I know nothing, you know, and I think that. I think that's a really I, I really love that as well because I think it, it sort of just it just does away with any all this kind of idea that we're meant to understand these businesses that we've known nothing about and had nothing anything to do with, you know, as we can do all this research, but really ultimately you have to go in and go, okay, pretend we know nothing here and have you guys actually kind of walk us through that process. And what it was actually really I found that initial briefing and workshop process yeah, and we we have this this is often the experience we have is it's it's incredibly enlightening because you start to understand what the business is about. I think in the specific case of the dropship zone process, I knew very little about dropshipping. I, I barely knew what it was that had existed before we connected with you guys. And only what I'd sort of read about at a very top line level. To learn about how that business works, the size and sort of, you know, and scale and reach of what of, of dropship zone in Australia. But also the really big one was was the 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 audiences you know and and the different the different demographics and the different types of people that would that would actually sort of take this brand and see it and and I think that was you know the brand got reviewed on a, on a on a website a couple of websites after we kind of launched it one of the ones I really really liked was one of the reviewers it made a really positive comment about that which was that a brand like this has to speak to you know, consumers and retailers and manufacturers and you know you start to sort of go okay this is not just 
this isn't just a one-way conversation out to a consumer buying something. There's multiple streams of business that cross over, you know, and, and dropship zone sits kind of at the, you know, at the at the center crossover point of a lot of them. So you're actually having to create something that appeals to multiple audiences, not in a way that gets watered down or simplified. And, and you know, that was, I think that was a challenge that we, it, it, to be completely honest, we weren't expecting because we didn't know that that, you know, going into it, that there was that sort of variety of audience. So that process for us was, was I think, challenging in a way that we weren't expecting. But also once you kind of wrap your head around it, and we figured out a way that we could sort of do or at least try and do all of those things it became it became really 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 exciting and i think i think what you know again like i said all the way you know back when we when we sort of kicked this off is that the, the best response to that is that everybody from you know your internal teams through to retailers through to small business owners and manufacturers all can kind of see this and go i see how this kind of connects with me i can see how i can use this and i can see how it resonates you know, with me. And I think that was, um, I, I mean, I hope that's what we achieved. That, that's certainly what, what we kind of set out to do. But yes, it was, it was tricky and, and different in that sense, because I think it was, it was more complex in, in the amount of people and the different types of people we had to talk to. Yeah, 100%. And B2B is different to B2C. So you're, you're right, you have so many different target audiences, you have so many, it can be challenging that. Speaking of challenges, because our retailers are small to medium. So they make up more than 50% of employers in Australia. And for them, it's all about getting that transaction, getting that sale. Um, in the early days, you are just trying to make this a success. So I guess in your opinion, as someone who lives in the brand world, what would be your advice to them when they should, when would be the right time and how would they get start getting serious about their own brand strategy if you're a small to medium retailer? Yeah, I think it's it's a really good question. I think, and I think it's challenging for small business because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I think the barrier for people with design and brand is is often money. And I think that, and you know, it's true of businesses of all sizes, but certainly small businesses, as you say, the the focus in those early stages is truly just about sales. It's truly just about you know getting getting money in the door and actually and actually getting things moving. What you know, like we said before, though, you can't you can't separate you know, brand and identity, you know, there's there's, there's a direct sort of correlation between how you execute those things. Even if they're very, very subtle and small to start with, there's a correlation between that and how people think about the business and when they're, and their likelihood to engage with it and buy, you know, and I think that even where, even if you could make incredibly small steps financially and brand wise towards making those changes, then it's all worthwhile. You know, I think when we occasionally, when we first set up, we would do, you know, we were doing much smaller sort of brand execution work. And, and we look, we still get those inquiries from time to time as well. But you have people who are, who truly just say, I need a logo or I need help customizing a, you know, yeah, an e-com page or, or I just need those tiny, very, very sort of much smaller parts of identity. And, and, and we don't necessarily do much of that work, but I don't sort of turn my nose up at it or, or sort of disregard the impact it can have, you know, because I think at a small scale, you know, any kind of effort or sort of, I guess, any kind of focus or effort you can put into establishing brand, even if it's something as simple as paying for, a, you know, for a logo, having somebody actually work on the design of a, of a, of a site, that sort of stuff will build and build and build. They're the building blocks, even at, its, even at their cheapest, smallest level, they're the building blocks of, of brand. And I think then the other thing that people can do 
which I guess is less a financial outlay and more one around establishing like a consistency and a cohesion around how you communicate, you know. So brand is, yes, we talk about brand being how an organisation or, or, you know, a company looks and, and, and sounds and all that kind of stuff. But you think about the tone and the style of writing that you get from across an e-commerce purchase, from checkout through to EDMs, whether it's automated digital marketing or whether it's customs fully customized and personalized. But what are the ways that people verbally start to interact with your brand and how do you speak to them? And they're things that, you know, aren't even really often about spending money, but it's it's about consistency and consideration, which small businesses, that's the sort of thing you can focus on really, really early on. And again, that's one of those triggers or one of those shortcuts, as you said, that will that will remind people and connect them back to a brand. You know, I say, okay, every time I purchase this, I get this kind of email or this kind of follow-up message. Or when I've when I've emailed and tried to ask a question about X, I get a response that sounds like Y. And if it's done well and it's done right, that's absolutely an exercise in brand as well. Even though it's not connected to a, a logo or a color or a typeface or anything like that, it's absolutely connected to the brand experience. So I don't think it's ever too early or not important enough to start focusing on those things, even for really, really small businesses. Yeah, 100%. And then also the flip side of Dropship Zone is our suppliers and manufacturers who sit behind them. Is it important for them to have a brand identity? They don't necessarily have much consumer facing, for example. No, they don't. But I think, look, it's I, I maybe, I don't know whether I think about this, I look at this stuff through, through kind of just rose-coloured glasses, but I, I feel, I guess at its simplest, if you're interacting with people, then you need it. You need a brand. You need to think about how you have those interactions, whether it is truly a very much a B2B, it's, it's one shipping company through to one logistics company, there actually is still an experience that people are having. So provided we are dealing with people and having interactions or having having some sort of experience that is that has people as a part of it, then there has to be some sort of focus on how you go about that. And again, that's brand. How you talk to people, how you communicate with them, even if it's just about a logo on the corner of a, of a box or a truck or something like that, then there, there's an opportunity there to do something in a way that that sticks with people and helps them understand or remind them about an experience they've had with a brand. So, look, I, I, our, our rule is, look, if people are involved and you're dealing with people, then you are in uni brand, you're in brand, whether you like it or not. And I think that's the thing is a lot of people don't realise that the importance of it or or the impact that it has if they're dealing with, if they're not dealing in B2C, but we're in a, a society in a, and, and, and broadly pretty much in a in a a group of industries that are always dealing with with other people and then then the impact we have on those people and the impression we make on them is is brand whether it feels like that or not it absolutely is yeah that's so true it's so true it, we're, and, and again it's back to that shortcut in the mind let's talk about some of the most difficult things you've encountered the challenges that you've had when you're working with a business undergoing a, a, a brand refresh i'd love to just get some insight as to some of the things that you encounter that you find challenging yeah, sure. I think the challenge is, well, it's certainly, I mean, it happens with small business, but it could certainly happen on on much larger scales as well. I, I think the big thing is managing change, you know, big significant change um, and the patience that that requires to kind of see it roll out. And I think I think you guys have just been through this as well. Obviously, you, you kept your name, but everything else changed. And I guess a, the most extreme version of this is where companies go through both graphic and visual and verbal changes, but also name changes, you know, and I think naming has always been a really fascinating one for us because it, it's often received so gingerly and hesitantly by by clients only to, 
you know, if it goes well, which it, which it does, you know, the majority of the time, if the work and the thinking is done for it to be received and loved, you know, over time you have this kind of exponential curve where, where people fall in love with the change and understand it and start to see it and get used to it and then look backwards and go, I can't believe we weren't going to do this. And I think that's probably one of the biggest challenges with that transition, be it, be it visual or, 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 or verbal or it's, a, or it's a change of name, is that you have, your businesses have, if they've been around for a long time, lived, really, really, really lived and breathed uh, a certain set of tools and a feel for so long that I think often it's very hard for people to to go, okay, this is not going to exist anymore and we're sort of drawing a line in the sand and on this date we're going to do this. You know, and I think you guys, it drops your zone is a is a perfect example of this, and I think you did it really, really well. And it was, and, and, you know, off the back of what is the busiest period of the year, as you said, is that you have to be able to go, okay, at this point we're no longer using these tools, we're going to use these tools. And this is obviously provided you've gone through the right processes and all the thinking is right and you and we've made decisions looking through all the right lenses but people still often really struggle to go okay well, so i can't do that anymore and you go and 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 for it to work and for it to really really soar that's what you have to do and you guys did that in january you know you draw a line and go okay from this point the website changes everybody now looks like this this is your email signature this is our merch this is yeah. You, know, you have to make those decisions and i think that i think people struggle too um because of yeah um, it's a whole range of things you know it's investment it's Things that are built up over time—it's—it's it's a stubbornness or a kind of unwillingness to to make that leap. But you have to really kind of go. You just have to sort of go with it and then know that if you've made all the right decisions and you've done the thinking, that it will work and that it will. And that, but also that it takes time. We had this and we did this with you guys as well. That whenever we show work, you know, we're very careful to say you don't need to respond to this now. You know, you don't need to respond to this in the room. I mean, people often have positive reactions, negative reactions. That you know, it's. But you really you have to sit with this stuff because you're coming in with potentially years of a certain look and feel and sound, and in one two-hour meeting, you're being told none of that stuff exists anymore and this is now kind of what we're doing. And, you know, regardless of whether or not strategically it's right or you feel like you've done, you know, you've done all the due diligence, it's still a huge change for people to accept. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things that goes wrong or, is, or it's not that it goes wrong, but it's the most delicate to manage is significant change when people have a historical attachment to something because it, it feels very, very new and can be a lot for people to take in. I think that's so true in terms of, yes, there's a lot of stakeholder management that goes into these, this process where you, a lot of hand-holding because there is a, a natural, they feel safe with the current brand. It does feel risky going and moving into another brand and so it, or a new identity. You think about it. I, I know I keep we talk about this in terms of personality and, and and people, but it's it's really like taking you into a into a into a clothing store and saying, "I want you to wear this now, and you need to trust me that it's going to work, even though you've never worn this, and you've never looked like this, and you hate this color, and you've never worn it. This is this is you know, this is going to transform your life, and and you know that's essentially what you're doing with a business. And you know, as I said, it's based on conversations and thinking and workshops and briefings and 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 ongoing buy-in but it's still it doesn't matter how on track all that stuff is in the process you still get to that big reveal or that big change over it so it is a, it's a lot to say goodbye to and a lot to take on so i think people struggle with it i guess the other one is it's a common thing is the design by committee it's the idea that I, I, look i'm in two minds of it i i'm a big i'm a big fan of of, of buy-in and broader teams and certainly at a workshop level and sort of interim presentation levels, having people participate, you know, more broadly, provided everybody's on the on the same path, 
can be a really, really powerful thing. Ultimately, I still believe you need a group of people, the smaller the better, to be responsible for that change at the top. You know, and that's why those people are in those roles and that's why they're why they're paid a certain amount of money, is to, you know, be able to take a lead and go, okay, this is the change we're making. And yes, yes, everybody has a voice, yes, people get involved and teams teams are across it, but ultimately someone needs to, to, to make that call. And I think that when that person is missing or it doesn't or it doesn't work that way, that can also be a real barrier to, to smooth transition and change over for a brand. I totally agree with that. I think if you were to get consumers involved in the process and having them decide, you, you end up with a brand that probably wouldn't work because they're not experts in the field. And the reality is, is that you can go and ask 100 people what they think of a brand, you'll get 100 opinions. But yet at the end of the day, you have to trust the marketers on how they execute on the brand, how they use the brand every day, because that's really what drives home that consumer buy-in. Absolutely. Absolutely. How does a, a brand play a role in a business positioning strategy, just briefly on that? Um, I, look, I think positioning positioning for us is it almost sort of precedes brand. I think they, look, there is a point where they go, where they sort of work hand in hand. I think positioning strategy for us almost needs to kind of be, to some degree, resolved and, and, and defined before the brand starts to form. You know, and I think they, as I said, at a point, they do start to walk hand in hand. But, but a, a positioning strategy for us is, is really about what is your version of this and what you do, you know, especially if you do what other people do or you, you're, in a, you're in a space where there clearly a number of competitors that are in a similar space or you're in an industry, if you manufacture cars and all these other companies manufacture cars, what is brand positioning for us is what is your take on this you know what is your literally what is your position how do you mark out your territory in this that signals a level of distinction and uniqueness that no one else can own and brand then is a a set of tools that helps communicate that position and helps tell that story and and helps kind of keep that marker in the ground that's kind of how we see those two things working together well i think it's time to uh, do some name dropping now so chris what are some of the favorite brands that you've helped transform other than other than Dropship Zone, <laughs> no. Look, I've loved Dropship Zone. I tried truly. I really, for us, it, for us, it was a very, it was a, it was a very smooth process in this. And that's not to say it was easy, which I think I, I think I sort of made clear earlier is that it, it really wasn't without its complexities of us understanding what what the category is about, but also what your specific business is about, which is fine, and that's part of the process. But I think it was in terms of the pace at which that job moved at and. The enthusiasm and appetite, I think, everybody had to change. I guess that's that's a, probably one of the other challenges to jump back a question is that if there's not an appetite for change, that is also a huge hurdle to overcome. People have got to want to make a transition and a change of brand. Otherwise, it's not it's not going to work because you, you, you're essentially then sort of, sort of trying to bully or force somebody into a situation that they they don't want to be in, which obviously, you know, as, as we know in, in any in any case is is not right and, and, and feels wrong. So in terms of other ones we've worked on, I guess the last the last couple that we worked on, I think that we, we were most excited about. One was one was that we renamed and rebranded a digital marketing tech product uh, that was called Autopilot, which we rebranded to Auto last year, which was a really quick process, but a really, really fun one. Again, having to wrap our heads around the complexity of the role of AI and automation in um, in digital marketing and how it works was certainly a, a bit of a brain melter. But yeah, figuring out how that product could live, it was you know also digitally for us, 
was a took us into a space in terms of how we created the brand and how we delivered it, which we hadn't done before, which was really, really exciting. And then the other one, I guess, was Hay, which was which is probably two or three years old now, which was one of Australia's first neo banks. So this is pre pre pandemic when sort of neos were just sort of starting to to pop off. We named and and sort of helped position and brand Hay, which was a fantastic process. Again big educational and learning curve on our part to understand what was happening in banking. You know, in Australia, obviously, you know, historically, we, we you know, it's so few options and, and what is a fairly, you know, archaic and and arguably problematic <laughs> banking industry, you know, and then and, and really watching this happen around the world and having alternatives and digital banks launch around the world and then having that sort of make its way to Australia was really, really interesting and, and getting to work on that and launch that, which essentially was, you know, was a digital bank, it was a bank in your phone to, as, a, as a brand exercise was, was naming an identity and, and obviously all those things, but also was about, you know, everything from how do we live in, in an Apple wallet what does a Visa card look like? We got to produce, which was which was fantastic because we never get to kind of do those sort of things. There was a lot of new applications and executions that we uh, we hadn't done before, which was a lot of fun. So, and also just to be in an industry that needs disruption, uh, like banking, um, and how people manage their money in Australia uh, was was kind of yeah, resource satisfying to be part of that as well. Yeah, that's a that's a whole podcast on its own. If you want to talk about disrupting the banking sector after the interest rates went up yesterday. Yes. <laughs> I don't even look anymore. I just don't even watch it. Yeah. <laughs> Coming out of the bank account. And our listeners can obviously go to your website and, and look at these case studies that you've done on these marvellous brand transformations as well at Christopher.co. So ChristopherDoyle.co. Yep, absolutely. Chris, I have a question for yep. you. In your opinion, what brands do you think have had the biggest glow up? Or maybe they had like a really ugly brand before and then they've done a rebrand and their rebrand has served them really well it doesn't necessarily have to be a brand you've worked with before it could be something you've just observed sure. but i'd love to know yep i think in the last 10 years it's airbnb oh yeah yeah i genuinely think for, for a couple of reasons one it one it looked awful before it started i mean i don't know if you remember the if you remember the logo but it went through it, it and it all it was just this perfect collision of of disrupting an industry you know which which we and it's like any of these things it's like uber airbnb like all of these kind of things where we have all you know and like all three of us have spent however many years living in a country or, or living around a certain type of organization you know sorry industry be it hotels or food or shopping or whatever that that level of disruption was just unprecedented really i think and i think they they went through graphically what was a, a beautiful rebrand and change and it transformed their entire business. What was already obviously going to be a big success and was working then just kind of went gangbusters. The other reason I think it's fascinating, and we talk about Airbnb a lot when we talk about naming with clients, is Airbnb is a terrible name, <laughs> but no one really thinks about it. It's awful. It sounds like an internet cafe that you have sleepovers in like it's just it's so do you know what I mean it's just a hideous name and but to me it's a really interesting exercise in in brand and that people don't even think about that name anymore and it's something we talk about a lot with clients when we do rename is that they that really that is the, the moment you commit to it that over time you it becomes more and more ingrained to the point where people again it just becomes a word and a trigger that 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 sets off all these other associations. And I think that it's not to say it can't be, it doesn't have to be good. Obviously we don't, you know, you aim for them to be great, 
but there's plenty of examples of brands that have had these transitions or are hugely successful with terrible names, you know. And I think that that to me is a really good example of a brand that went through a huge transition, has become became hugely successful and, and disrupted an industry, all while hanging on to I think an awful name. So um, it's a fascinating case study in the in in how little people think about that. I think sometimes after a long time. Yeah, that's fair enough. Just on that as well. Then, have you ever observed or witnessed a brand that's done a rebrand and it's actually not elevated their brand? It's done the opposite effect. Yes, one of the biggest ones I can remember. It's quite a few years ago now. Was the Gap clothing store in the US went through a rebrand, which was, I mean, could only, it was universally criticised, really, like not only in design circles, in, in, in marketing circles, in brand, in everything. I mean, it could, it could not have gone worse. And I think that, I'm not sure what the process was that led it to that point, but it really was one of the great disasters in, in rebranding was that, it, you know, a store like that that had been around, I'm not sure how long, but decades, obviously, to go through a process like that and rebrand and have it, have it go so badly was, was pretty amazing. I mean, the other one, sorry, to go back to Airbnb, was also hugely criticised within, within the design industry when it first came out. There was this enormous uh, conversation that sort of blew up about the logo looking, you know, how, or having like sort of sexual connotations and, and all this sort of stuff. And then there was a, another argument that came forward that that logo existed in a really old logo book by a Japanese designer or something like that from years ago. And, and all of those arguments, I think, are absurd. You know, they're not, you know, the, 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 these all these things can kind of exist and it's fine, you know, and that it's, and, and once you get down into this, into, executing something like the letter A in such a simple form, then yes, there's there's every chance that someone in the last 50 years has had a comparable idea, you know, that you just haven't seen. So that that happens. And then I think what they did with the with all the other controversy around it looking questionable was they uh, you know, they they actually just celebrated it. They wrote blog posts about it, they wrote articles about it, they shared all the criticism and and then it just kind of went away, you know, like all these things do. They they sort of have a big, a big sort of uh you know, a big discussion and a big sort of everyone kicks off when they first come out and then they get forgotten about and that brand is now just known and loved and it's fine. So love that. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for answering my questions. Pleasure. Thanks for coming on as well. Thanks for the brand as well, the new Drop Trip Zone brand. <laughs> yeah, no worries, of course. We love it. We're glowing <laughs> yeah. purple over here. You're glowing purple. So good. Yeah. All right, that's all we have time for today. Thank you to our listeners for joining us on our rebrand episode of the Recommended Retail Podcast, brought to you by Dropship Zone, Australia's leading B2B2C marketplace. As always, if you're interested in learning more, head over to dropshipzone.com.au or visit us on Instagram using the handle dropshipzoneau. See you next month. Happy selling.